I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 74, Christy and the Copycat. Okay, I know complaining about titles is like kind of well-worn territory and something I do a lot, but this is the stupidest title, I think. It didn't tell us anything about what was actually happening in this book. Well, also like more exciting things happen in this book than Karen being a copycat. But also, like, if Karen, if there's a babysitter that Karen's copying, it's way more there. There's way more Marianne and Karen interaction than Christy and Karen. So it's like, I don't know. Well, sure. But it's not called Christy's copycat. It's Christy and the copycat. No, usually it's the babysitter and the the babysitting conundrum. Right. And that's like the, that's whose perspective the book is told from. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good naming formula for a BSC book. <laughs> what a weird book. Okay. I tried to do a one sentence summary that um, is a real plot point, but maybe a more obscure one. <laughs> Great. Love those. Okay, so Love those. I put Christy lectures some middle schoolers about the dangers of smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> I liked that part. Yeah. Yeah. I went a little bit more central. Um, Christy learns about hazing and Anna Martin shows we are all susceptible to group influence. Mm. Mine is Christy almost kills someone. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, that could be the name of the book, I feel. Christy almost goes to the almost murder. Yeah. Christy almost kills someone. Christy almost gets suspended. I'm, you know, when I just imagined that made me laugh really hard. I imagined Hodges swallow getting like the the illustration brief for Christie and the near murder, and like, what does he paint? What does it look like? Yeah, the cover of this book is. Oh yeah, I didn't see it. Oh yeah, it should be Christie by a shed on fire (laughs) with a spray paint spray banana. And the kid smoking a cigarette with like a X through it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Didn't. No, totally. Okay, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Nanny Chikala, a freelance writer of a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. Nailed it. Oh, nailed it. Wow. It only took 100 episodes. Uh, if you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Uh, new stuff coming soon. Get in there. Yeah. Be a patron. Support the arts. <laughs> support the arts. <laughs> Yes, when the, and we, right now we have uh, 72 paid patrons, and this is episode 74, so I feel like c- keep up, everyone. 
Also, we have a big surprise coming for our... Oh, for our super special patrons. Yes, we have a good surprise. Anne and I are are in the same room right now, which has never happened before. Ow, she literally just punched me. I don't know. She was verify. Can punch me? But then I'm actually... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Siri, set reminder to add punching sound (laughs) effect. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah well other than the fact that she just punched me and it actually hurts that's i <laughs> we've been uh we've been working on some something for the super special patrons we'll also send one to you emily i think you'll enjoy it as well thank you i would like it to be a surprise okay we won't tell you more about it okay i'll oh. forget so you can tell me whatever you want yes <laughs> <laughs> all right and what what does happen in this book other than Christy lecturing middle schoolers about the dangers of smoking. So much. Uh, Christy decides to try out for the SMS softball team. Can we just pause there for one second? Is this why in 25 eighth grades is she never has she never tried out for softball before? I know. It doesn't make sense. It's very weird that she was not already on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Other than she's very busy. Right. And the lessons she learned from trying to run for president. But Ugh, yes, okay. Very I was excited that she, uh, you know, she plays third, like my daughter June, holding down the hot corner. That's fun. Is that what they call it? Yeah, it's a hot corner. And literally, it's very funny. June rolls her eyes about it because any, like, every dude will be like, "Oh, you play softball. What position do you play?" And June will say third, and without fail, they all go, "Ah, the hot corner." Immediately, that's the next thing that they say, <laughs> like. A hundred percent of the time. So funny. So yeah. So then she yeah. just gives me like a little side eye and goes, mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's so that's how I played it in high school. Third and short, actually. Nice. Well, nice. Family tradition. You mean the hot corner? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all live in the hot corner, so no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carry on. So Christy tries out for the softball team. The coaches. Uh, Coach Wu, mm-hmm. another Asian in Stony Brook. I mean, we're assuming. Oh, okay. So you think she might have married an Asian man and I taken his name? They don't say that she is exotic, or <laughs> that's true. They don't talk about Coach Wu's almond-shaped eyes. Also, missed opportunity to reproduce another stereotype. She could have made married an Asian woman. Oh, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, softball okay. coach and all. Yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah. Um, so Coach Wu, Christy makes the team. Well, she couldn't have in Connecticut in 1994, though. Ooh, true. Yeah, okay. but whatever. I, this is pretend. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> Apparently, the Babysitters Club is pretend. It's so, just a book. So, <laughs> so Christy makes the team, but there's some uh, the girls who are on the team already are kind of acting like bitches. They're bitchy. And they're saying that the new members need to be initiated through some sort of hazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and this is where it gets juicy. Yeah. Also, inexplicably, everybody has a very unique name in this book. <laughs> like, one of the girls on the team that is uh, kind of in charge of the hazing is named Tally. And the the only sixth grader that makes the team is Dillis. So... Yeah, yeah, so the, the four new members are Christy, mm-hmm. Dillis, B, and Tanya Harding. 
Tanya Jorge. Wow. <laughs> Softball and ice skating. <laughs> Overachiever. Um, so the hazing includes spray painting the old sports equipment shed yes. at school. Yes. And and they make it really clear that if they don't do it, they're gonna they're they're so sophisticated and so good at softball that they can play well and make the new players look bad every time. <laughs> yeah, they can yeah. they can throw the ball in a special way so it makes it hard to catch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was seemed a lot of like psychological intimidation too. Yes. Like we'll make you play bad by because you're scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll they'll get psyched out and they'll make lots of errors, which works, which mm-hmm. Chrissy and D D Dillis, B and Tanya do. Mm-hmm. And there's a little divide, right? Like it's definitely like B and Tanya are the bad girls, quote unquote, of the new recruits, right? They're like on board with the hazing and very excited. And Dillis is like a little more innocent and a sixth grader. And then Christy is Christy, right? Mm. So, um, yeah. And after some back and forth, Christy decides to go through with it. Yes. And they go at night to the shed and they spray paint the shed. Uh-huh. I don't know what they spray painted on us. I'm assuming a big dick and ball holes and <laughs> a 69 and a joint. That's this 420 and the Sea logo. You don't have always I think they were like S really boringly just painting each wall a different color. I was like, they're making it look cute. Like what? (laughs) Christina said it was like loops and swirls. Yeah. Yeah. And then after they finish, for some reason, Tanya and B, it's like they've had sex and they want to have a cigarette (laughs) once they've finished. Or they're like, while we're acting like juvenile delinquents, let's. Let's add on another juvenile delinquent stereotype. Yeah, I'm going to have my first cigarette under right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. I'd, well, the the idea of eighth graders smoking cigarettes, I feel like, is is funnier now. Because so many, you know, the... Yeah, to, today, the they, fire they, would they, have happened. Yeah, the fire wouldn't have happened because they would have just pulled out a vape cartridge. Yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> but that's not how the fire happened. It's true. But it's how we believe the fire happened at this point in the story. Okay, fine. So the next day, Chrissy wakes up. Oh, wow. The radio says that the the equipment shed burnt down and someone, some guy tried to put it out. And now he's in critical, critical, critical condition. condition at the hospital. This is where Chrissy almost kills someone. Yeah. This is, I thought this part was so dramatic. I loved it. We yeah. Care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit, there's some real consequences yeah. in some things we're, happening in Stony Brook. Were either of you like, I kind of hope he dies? <laughs> <laughs> I It did not occur to me because I knew he was the man was not going to die. Yeah, yeah, cool. Me neither. But I wish you think he had third degree burns and that's why he was in critical <laughs> condition. Yes. Do you think he's going to come back in the series? No. <laughs> oh, my God. Burn ban is here. No. Christy and the consequences. Yeah. <laughs> what role would he play if he came back in the series? Maybe he's the parent that they have to babysit his kid because he can't take care of his child anymore. Oh or they have God. to learn a lesson about how um, like, 
appearances aren't everything <laughs> oh they should learn yeah. that lesson yeah that like yeah. you know they're scared because the scarring is unusual or unfamiliar and then they have to be like oh but he's such a good dad yeah maybe he works at the hardware store oh my god <laughs> or he's not bad as me his business starts doing bad because people are scared of the way he looks so then babysitters do some thing with children to raise money yeah, I know we're old and yeah, make sale. <laughs> but he can get his skin grafting. I know we have talked about writing a Babysitter's Club book before for patrons, but I don't want to write this one. Fine. Wow. No offense. Are you coming up with any idea? Actual. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to actual burn victims. I just don't want to write this one. But you're right, Emily. It's, you know, I won't stop you guys from doing it. It could be a mystery. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Can I? Can we do? Yeah, let's wrap my corner. Like, can we just wrap the recap? <laughs> okay. Go okay. Someone else set the fire. Coincidentally, after they spray painted the shed, mm-hmm. someone else came and actually just set the shed on fire. Not just someone else. Some other SMS students. Yeah. No high schoolers. Oh, high schoolers whose identities will remain anonymous. And then Christy and the other girls just decide not to tell anyone what they did. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they also not to support, yeah, not to support future hazing. Oh, we left out an important plot point, though, which is that the school blamed it on the boys' baseball team, which was going to get total before the high schoolers were found out, which was going to get totally disbanded and they were going to hold new tryouts that people on the team weren't going to get to play. So Logan was bereft. And this is what spurs Christy to want to confess and. Mm say the whole thing. So she has a plan to go to the principal's office that day and then hears that the high school students confessed. And so then well, she has to Zillis and be in Tanya. It's apparently what, what motivates the high schoolers to come forward too, right? Hearing yes. that the whole middle school boys team is being, getting disbanded, which I yeah, was kind of funny. Yeah, it's sort of sweet. Yeah, but like, are those kids going to get arrested? Anyway, B-plot, Karen's coughing everyone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Karen she wants to be grown up and she's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. True. And Stacy and Claudia are coaching the crushers for Christy. Mm-hmm. Coaching the crushers for Christy while she plays softball for Stony Brook Middle School. Mm-hmm. Say that three times. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. That was a recap. All right. Let's talk about hazing. There's actually a fair amount of data on hazing. Um, so. Hazing is different from bullying, right? Everyone's clear on that. It's um, a distinct behavior. It has to be in order to join most commonly a team, but um, when we're talking about middle and high school, but it can also be an organization. Obviously, fraternities and sororities are known for hazing, Um, but it does happen in lower grades. So um, a few different things that I found about hazing. Well, first, have you guys had any experience in hazing with any teams or anything ever? Yeah. Nope. Okay. I had once, um, which was freshman year of college with the Cal band. Um, oh. they don't they don't do this anymore, but there was they they made us like hike up a hill and they told us that Stanford had painted there's this giant C up on the hill um at Cal and it was painted red and they told us that Stanford had done it and then they yelled they called the new people in the band Newman and they yelled Newman paint the C and we had to get down on our hands and knees and paint the C with our hands. 
with yellow paint to return it to the original color. And I was like, fuck this. I thought I joined the band. So that led to me quitting pretty shortly thereafter because I was like, what? Interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess. So like in high school, in the the like concert choir that you have to audition for, Mm -hmm. what they would do is they would like kidnap you to like tell you that you got it. But it was like Uh, a nice kidnapping. Like you'd go on like a like a what is that thing called where you have to follow clues like a scavenger hunt Uh and you go eat pancakes in the morning before school and then you have to go to school in your pajamas because you got kidnapped in the nighttime okay well depending on who you are you might think that that was that was scary but it does sound mostly fun i was not yeah i I was not scared yeah but i suppose did you know in advance that it was gonna happen if you got it oh if i got it i don't know i don't remember like, had you heard that that's what happened when you got it? I must have because then, because you, everyone sees the people in their pajamas. Uh, okay. So I must have known from the year before, like remember yeah. seeing people in their pajamas, but I don't know for sure. Right. But that could be a little humiliation. That could be depending on your personality. Emily's like, no, I don't give a shit. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. Yeah. See? Look. I mean, I wouldn't be scared or anything. I just feel like, oh, I'm sleeping. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Well, I, I found one study for it's from 20 years ago now, but it was the only one looking at um, like middle school and high school um, and hazing. And it's actually a really interesting study. So it was by Gershel et al. And it was um, done by a group of pre- pediatricians. And so when they did the well check to clear students for athletics, they gave them a survey and asked them questions about hazing. Um, so it's one of the most kind of thorough studies and it's a really interesting, you know, all athletes have to do a clearance. So it's like a very general sample and something like 95% of kids consented to do the study. So, um, so it's, it's, I think it's just a nice methodology. It's a nice way of doing it. And they looked at like whether or not kids knew what hazing was and how it's different from bullying in terms of the, their definition is any activity expected of someone joining a group that humiliates, degrades, abuses, or endangers, regardless of the person's willingness to participate. Um, and so that it's distinct from like bullying or horseplay or things like that. And the, you know, the reason this is a concern is obviously dangerous things can happen. We saw this in this book. Um, people do die from hazing, especially in college, and we've probably seen newspaper articles about that. And so it's a, it, like looking to prevent it early, looking to do sort of a primary um, prevention intervention in younger grades. Um, but what they found was a lot of kids didn't know the definition of it, didn't understand it. And then they found that overall, about 17% of kids um, in middle and high school had some kind of hazing experience for a team or a group. Um, and they are, they do a lot of different things. So Anne's looking, um, cause we're in the same room at this, uh, survey, the different things. So wear embarrassing clothing is the most common one. So like yours would fall under that category, Emily, if it was embarrassing to you. Right. Pajamas? I definitely know that there are kids in high school that would not want to go to high school in their pajamas. For sure. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, in the nineties, that was. In the nineties, that was just what we wore all the time. But like, <laughs> and again, that's happening again now, but like, Yeah. Um, so exercise too much, act as a maid or enslaved person, undress, cut or shave hair, eat something unusual, go on a scavenger hunt is also on here. So I think technically it meets the definition you were ace. <laughs> um, drink alcohol. Yeah. It was fun. 
And then the actions done to athletes are like yell, scream, or curse at them, ignore or not speak to them, call them names, beat, punch, or paddle, confine in a locker or car trunk, abandon them somewhere, kidnap them. So there you go. Okay. Yes, I was. Uh, Yes. Um, The sport with the highest percentage of hazing was gymnastics which was surprising to you, but it's a really low N. So it was three out of seven gymnasts were hazed, um, followed next by cheerleading. Um, and then of the kind of like big sports, uh, baseball and softball was the highest number, actually. I wonder if field hockey, football, basketball, things like that. I would have been so interested if they had included kids in like theater, band, choir, mm-hmm. To see yeah. if those clubs have comparable rates to sports teams, because yeah. I bet they're higher. Yeah, interesting. Like, yeah, possibly like more insular. I th- yeah, like, like more yeah. insider outsider groups. But yeah, cool. Yeah, golf doesn't haze very much. Only thirteen percent of golfers ha- got hazed. <laughs> that was one of the lowest. Yeah, um, but it was really interesting because a lot of them didn't know. Um, only three percent described the activities that they did as dangerous. But when the pediatricians in like separately coded it, 22% of them had done things that had potential for serious physical harm. So kids are downplaying whether or not they were hazed. A lot of them, I think, probably had your experience, Emily. And, um, and then also downplaying the level of danger that's there. So I thought that was just interesting that this is happening a lot. And this is specifically in suburban middle and high schools. So they looked at this in New York suburbs. So it could have been Stony Brook, right? Um, so I thought it was just a really neat little study. Um, there's a more recent study, um, Hakola et al. in 2019, were looking at an intervention to implement in schools, like sort of teaching school personnel and coaches in a high school to stop, try to stop hazing. And it wasn't super successful. Um, and it was more successful among girls than boys, which I thought was interesting. So, and it seemed like from that other study, more girls were hazing. So maybe there was just less, you know, more hazing to stop. But if you looked at like just the female students, it was it was much more successful. And the, then they did it in two different schools. One school, it basically wasn't successful at all other than increasing knowledge a little bit. The other school, it was successful in changing attitudes and prevention and and changing hazing prevention. But the change in the scores is pretty small. It's like, it's statistically significant, but it doesn't seem very clinically significant to me. And then the other one I looked at that I thought you would find really interesting, Emily, um, was um, by Anderson, McCormick, and Lee um, from 2013. And it was the title of it is Male Team Sport Hazing Initiations in a Culture of Decreasing Homo Hysteria. And so they looked at, um, it was a ethnographic study where they spent seven years looking at hazing rituals at on two different men's sports teams in the UK. And they did a bunch of in-depth interviews with naturalistic observations. And it showed over time that forcing these young men to do um, like homoerotic things dropped off as they were less afraid of being perceived as gay in a changing culture where gay was not as bad of a thing. So, um, which, you know, theoretically, so like a lot of, um, a lot of the hazing rituals early on were 
homophobic same-sex activities. <laughs> so like making them kiss each other and making them like touch each other. And that's like trailed off. But the bad news is that it what substituted it was increasing extreme alcohol consumption. So like better attitudes about gay people, less fear of being perceived as gay, but more likely to die of alcohol poisoning. Um, but it was just an interesting like... I, I just found the whole like take in the uh, it's not a hypothesis because it's an ethnographic study, but like that they found it, like their their first heading in the article is like sport hazing and masculinities and like looking at, you know, real men. It, it has they they cite Connell's hierarchy of masculinities in this paper. And then, but yeah. And then like what like the definition of athlete is predicated on these characteristics. And then if we're becoming less homophobic over time as a society probably good probably more gay men that are athletic are feeling more comfortable but then everybody's getting so drunk that they have to go to the hospital so wish they could substitute it with something else like maybe not hazing but i just it's a little far afield from this book but i thought it was an interesting interesting article so is the idea of hazing it's like a bonding thing that's the theory yeah but they actually looked at in that that pediatrician study they looked at emotional impacts as well and most people do not like it's sort of a cognitive dissonance thing right so people say kind of like emily how emily was brainwashed with her choir hazing and she's like i thought it was fun i felt part of the choir um but it's but then if we had talked to her at the time she may have also endorsed increased depression and anxiety related to the hazing process so people tend to like say it's not as bad as it is um but there, there have been a lot of changes in the last 20 years of, uh, in rules about hazing with fraternities and sororities and also sports teams and other groups, especially at universities. But I think people pay less attention to it in high school and the argument of these pediatricians who are looking at it in middle school. At first, I was just like, really, on a middle school softball team, there's no way this is happening. But they found it in this study, which, you know, came out just a couple of years after this book. So I have to like say, OK, fine, this might be a real thing. Because that was my initial reaction. But that the seeds of kids being okay with it in college are planted in these teams and groups in high school. And so, like, having done it for your middle school softball team, you are less likely to push back if it's for your sorority, right? Mm -hmm. So, that's why they're looking at kind of, like, earlier prevention being important. Are you okay, Emily? Yeah, I just feel really (laughs) re-traumatized. Well, actually, uh, whenever whenever we get to my corner, I'm going to tell you about the much much longer uh history of of hazing oh uh, good that i think we'll get at your question and of like what's the point of it nice so that's what i had um i thought you know the karen the karen wanting to be like the older girls uh, it seemed a little bit i mean i guess it seems cool to have a boyfriend and stuff and be 13 but like if you're going to be older you really want to be 13 don't you want to be like 16 like but i guess she's got a lot of 13 year old models around her it seemed realistic to me, but just sort of annoying and, again, a very tenuous yeah. connection. Well, they've also been 13 for five years, so. That's true. I guess they're technically also 18. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, Emily. Tell us about all Plato's Academy and, and uh, hazing. <laughs> so hazing originated in ancient Greece, actually. Amazing. Um, and it's what... Uh, in in like around between the 15th and 17th centuries, it t- comes to be called, referred to um, as penalism. Mm. P-E-N-N. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> no, penalism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so actually, I I marked two things in this book that have a long, long history of reinforcing class, actually. Mm-hmm. So like in ancient Greece, um, like in order to enter into the academy, you had to be able to withstand a system of mild oppression and torment. So mm. it was basically like a process to weed out who is... Pussies. Yeah, and thus not capable of being philosophers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, who can withstand torture and thus um, deserving of the sort of title of philosopher king or whatever. Uh, wow. But it continues through the Middle Ages. And in the Middle Ages, it's a practice that's like really widely done um, at universities all over Europe. So like um, in Germany, in the Nordic countries, in France, and basically like um, it's to in these contexts, it has sort of two different purposes. One is to delineate and reinforce the class divide between upperclassmen and the lowerclassmen. So that's the upperclassmen who are um who who are hazing the lower classmen and not so that then if they get through the hazing now they're peers mm-hmm. it's to reinforce actually their non-peerness right and so it's not like tally and miranda are saying like then we'll all be a team and we'll all be equals it's like mm-hmm. and then we'll still be in charge and you'll be the peons yeah but it's not but it's not the upper guys who are making up the hazing rituals and who are requiring the rituals it's the university itself and the university itself, it, it's like um, a process of sort of purging, right? So like if you want to be a citizen of the university, then the hazing rituals are supposed to be, they're supposed to be humiliating. And the purpose is for you to like be purged of pride, gluttony, and like other kinds of sins before you can sort of like clean your mind, right? It's almost the like tabula rasa thing, right? That like the hazing and the humiliation is supposed to sort of reset you to this like um this open clean slate um like preparedness for your studies so that's the Mm -hmm. the university's logic for um instituting these requirements but the the enacting of it right um, on the part of the upperclassmen onto the lowerclassmen also serves to reinforce the class difference between the like the literal classes right Mm -hmm. um and which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, we talked like way back when we talked about prom, about like how fraternities and, um, you know, secret societies and stuff like that have their have some of their contemporary origins in like racism and racial divisions. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about, um, right, like that kind of physical pain is a, is a threshold for membership into saying like who's deserving and who's not deserving of like the rights and goods of of education or of membership in this group or whatever um right it has like other obviously harmful kind of connotations aside from just sort of individual psychological trauma or Mm -hmm. or whatever um yeah i was like shocked that it has roots in ancient greece and that and that the whole history of it is basically in universities yeah that's um yeah, that is shocking. I'm also just thinking about like how we still see echoes of that today and how like 
men in power that have been educated at these institutions make decisions. And yeah. Right. So do you want to do you want to read about one uh, that's called deposition or do you want me to tell you about it rather? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> OK, so this is like uh, a particular practice that was dominant in both Germany and Sweden in like the late 1400s and into the 1500s. So it was it was basically like the entrance exam. So if you wanted to go to the university you would arrive and like announce your presence to the dean and be like, I would like to go here. And then like once there's enough people at, at a time who have requested, they schedule a deposition so that these students can enroll. And at the deposition, um, the the depositor would pass around like old items. So hats, um, looking glasses, saws, razors, combs and clothes of various patterns and colors and then they would attach fake horns and fake donkey ears to their heads and then would insert boar tusks in their mouths. And they got to the little boar tusks. I mean, I assume they weren't like making plastic boar tusks <laughs> in 1400. Okay, 1500. Okay, fair, fair. Uh, and they they are expected to hold the tusks in place for the duration of the of the deposition. And then they have to like be marched through these like cavernous lecture halls, but that they get spurned forward with sticks as though they're like a herd of of oxen. And then they have to like, then they would form a circle around the depositor who would like insult them for looking like animals because <laughs> they would still have all the horns attached and then lecture them on the like vices and follies and sins and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And then like, and then about, and talk about why like their education would be disciplined right that like it would require discipline for them to be improved and sort of shorn of all their their vices and their follies or whatever okay and then the depositor would whip them and like or like with sandbags and then and then ask them questions and riddles and then like if they would get the questions wrong or answer them too slowly they would get hit more and then like <laughs> They they would also still have to do this with the boar tusks in their mouth. So like they go like, like Chad and Bernie. Yeah, like war guys too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then then they would have to renounce their sins. And if they did, the depositor would like take the tusks out of their mouth and that was sort of symbolizing it the end to their gluttony. And then like um and then once he like removes like the horns and all the things that are representative of different kinds of sins or different kinds of vices. Like, right. So he's like literally stripping away all the animal tendencies. And it's supposed to signify that, like, now they're ready for the development of reason to kind of master um, the the passions or the impulses. Right. So, like, think Aristotle, like tripartite soul. Right. Um, and then, like, <laughs> sorry, Anne. What? Are you thinking Aristotle tripartite soul? Mm-hmm. You're, you're right. You're in here. Okay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and then he would, like, Make them sit on stools and comb their hair and shave shave them what? so that they would be like like polished, like their mind would become polished after their education, and then like it's so the, long. Then, I know. And then uh, this is that this is their entrance exam, right? Like they don't. And then if they pass this test, then they get to go to the university. Well, I I don't know. This isn't that different from what you had to do to go to UC Davis, right? <laughs> Yeah, and be, sh- be physically shorn of all of your animal sins. Yeah, because it's yeah. a high school. Mm-hmm. So, 
<laughs> so that's like so when you finish the deposition of the hazing ritual, you get a certificate and that certificate allows you to then become a student. So it was like literally a kind of bodily like like test to so the idea is that like doing that to your body prepares the mind, right, to mm. develop like reason and enlightenment and all this kind of stuff. And this also like it's the 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 formal kind of like um enlightenment. So so they're not like the university isn't thinking of them as like rational free individuals, right? This is like um a form of of discipline that's thought necessary, right, for them to be able to figure out like how to be citizens, right? Because otherwise they're not going to be capable of doing the higher level thinking that right. the university is going to require. Right. Isn't that interesting? So did they have to study at all? <laughs> Like after, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and apparently even Plato had like some kind of criticisms of it. Like, you know, the the idea that there is um, a link between the mind and the body, and that the body sometimes undermines the mind. Um, mm-hmm. He, I think, supported right that supported his vision of like what's distinct from humans and animals and why humans can govern themselves and animals don't, right, build cities or have political societies or whatever. But the that problem, we know of. That we know of. I always say that. Um, <laughs> but but the problem is that, like, if people don't take it, the ritual seriously, it just becomes this sort of mockery of, like, practical jokes being played by men, unruly young men who aren't actually acting from reason. They're just acting out. They're actually acting still it, out of their animal tendencies and so it doesn't sure. actually achieve its its real purpose gosh <laughs> that seems unlikely it seems it seems much more likely that it would definitely do the things that they're saying it would do doesn't seem like this could you know not result in preparing the mind if it fell into the wrong hands i think we should bring back the deposition uh-huh. <laughs> for what for entrance into what for colleges or for like a uh, political office i feel like maybe I don't know. If you want to work at a bank, <laughs> if you want to work in finance, you have to drop juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure you can really get, are capable of understanding all the different benefits of the different antioxidant fruits. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I need to but I do, hear your animal horns. I do think it's interesting to the point that you raised, Anne, about like what's the purpose of this supposedly, right? What's the justification? And if on the one hand, it's like this idea of team building that it actually has a super, super long history of being linked to a variety of ways of theorizing about what the relationship is between the mind and the body. Right. And so like that it would be um, beneficial for a group to all sort of like be in the same mentality and to have or be of the mentality that they're in something together and that 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 like something that happens to the body would be linked to that isn't so surprising kind of given the history of Western thought. Does this have like, is this basically mimicking war? Like the idea, like trauma bonding, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go through something together and then it like bonds you in this weird way. I think that's the more contemporary version of it. Yeah. I, I think in like antiquity, it's really this idea that like, um, that like if you cannot master your body, then you cannot develop your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I thought that was really yeah. interesting. And then yeah. when I thought about it a second more, I was like, actually, this makes complete sense 
with what I know of Western intellectual history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're definitely right, though, Anne, that that's like what fraternity brothers now would tell you and what like the military would tell you about boot camp, which is certainly a form of hazing. It's just a sanctioned, organized form of hazing that everybody knows about. Right. Um, and I think that's what members of like secret societies in mm-hmm. old American universities would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. One more small thing that's also about uh, class. I knew you were going to pick up on this. I'm so excited <laughs> you're going to talk about this. So Karen and Andrew's mom and or, and stepdad go to a garden party, mm-hmm. and which is when Marianne's babysitting for them and Karen starts her copying thing. And I was like, says they do look sort of jungly. Yeah, or gardeny, I think she says even. Yeah. She's like, what? I don't know what a garden party is, but they look kind of gardeny. So yeah. that sounds fun. Then I was like, I think it's so funny that they would be self like consciously going to a garden party given the kind of history of what garden parties are. Cause they're like things that royals throw to sort of like mingle with the, <laughs> the regulars. You know what I mean? Uh, so like the, Garden parties begin in France in like the 17th century. And basically like the whole reason Versailles has these crazy grounds is because it's like every spring the rich people would all leave Paris, go out to Versailles and throw these like crazy fucking parties out like in the woods. And then when it came to England, it became a kind of like um, like way for sort of adjacent classes to sort of like mingle with each other. Right. So like, mm-hmm. oh, let's invite the townspeople to the estate for like a spring celebration and we can show off our wealth or whatever. Um, and there's like, there's like a really famous short story um, written by a woman in like the 1920s. That's a kind of like feminist burgeoning, like working class um, piece about class consciousness where this like young woman is in a wealthy family and her parents put in charge, put her in charge of overseeing the staff for the garden party. And she, sort of like enters their world and comes to see comes to like understand that they're being exploited by the family and sort of like <laughs> develops this this like sympathy for them and start begins to see her family as these kind of like wealthy monsters and it's like an interesting Ooh. it's like a site of a lot of like class tension and and mingling and like class differentiation right like the garden party is the one time of year where you peasants can come play on our grounds that are yeah, typically like where trend has like a barbecue at the really yeah it's exactly like that <laughs> i was like it's not fucking sweet i would totally be up uh, to be a peasant at a garden party like it sounds awesome <laughs> um but i just i thought that was really funny that they actually like yeah. go to a, a specifically to a garden party yeah <laughs> yeah amazing that's it amazing. i'm done love it huh all right if you had to haze someone, what would you do to them? And how would you prefer to be hazed? I would throw them a garden party. <laughs> yeah. Remind um, them that they're poor. <laughs> nothing but a traditional deposition will work for me. <laughs> how about you, Anne? Um, it's boar tusks or nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess how the whole like kidnapping thing is probably the most gentle one scavenger hunt. I mean, depending on how you get kidnapped and what the scavenger hunt looks like, I think you're being biased by Emily's interpretation of her own experience. Yeah. But I think it could be really if stressful. If it was like that list you had, this is, I don't know. Could I just like... I wouldn't want to eat an unusual item. No, no. Gross. I wouldn't want to do that. 
Um, I just don't think I would join anything that yeah. we participate in hazing, to be honest. I was really pissed off in the yeah. mid-90s that marching band would do That's that. So late. Yeah. That is really late. Yeah. Let's see. How would I haze someone? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Make them do little tasks that you like, like How to would do. I haze Esme? I would make her eat something spicy. Yeah. Or brush her teeth with minty toothpaste. Well, I do it twice a day every day, but only one specific brand. It's gross, you guys. They've told you a lie. Minty toothpaste is gross. <laughs> okay. Well, there's not a lot of pop culture in here. They're, they do a lot of the same. I feel like they just regurgitate the same pop culture references a lot. Like, you know, like I feel like they've talked about Greece before. Yeah, I mentioned Great Twilight Zone. They talked about that before. Yeah, the Twilight Zone theme song gets used a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> the second or third yeah, time. Like, yeah. So I was kind of searching for something. So this is kind of really trying. Okay. <laughs> so I'm at Anne's house, and she was like, "Okay, let me let me focus. This is really weird. This is really weird." Okay. <laughs> like several times. So I know, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, this book was published or released in. April of 1994. So I was like, okay, what's going on then? Nothing that interesting. Although Kurt Cobain did yeah. not suicide or was murdered in April of 1994. Well, obviously, the book was not written before, or like during that time. It was yeah. written several months before. So in 19, November of 1993, the Disney movie Three Musketeers came out. Okay. Which I recently just watched i don't even remember not three caballeros three no, musketeers no, three musketeers you don't remember it i don't remember this at all. it was like a like disney movie disney movie disney movie like aladdin like oh, no live action live action yes who was in this well i'll get to that okay so oh. but then you, i think it was tally who kept on calling the new girls oh the four musketeers, the four musketeers. yes mm-hmm. that's okay i see you did there yeah and it's like okay so Maybe this writer, who is the ghost writer on this? Is this a Nola Thacker joint? It's a Nola Thacker. Yeah. So I was like, maybe it was it was a big deal when Three Musketeers came out. It was like a big push from Disney um, in late '93, and I was like, okay, so who of these Three Musketeers, Four Musketeers, uh-huh. would be of these four girls, Christy? Dillis, B, and Tanya. Okay, so I'll, I'll, it's specifically for this movie. So let me tell you first to afters. Do you remember this movie? The live action Disney three was okay. Okay, Keeper Sutherland, what? Oliver Platt, Charlie Sheen, and Chris O'Donnell. Oliver Platt oh uh, starred in this movie. Wait, but wait, one of them is not a yeah. Oliver Platt is not a musketeer. No, he is. So Chris, Chris O'Donnell is not the musketeer. He plays Dark. D'Artagnan, who is like, oh, who like wants to be a musketeer. Oh my god, you guys, I'm so confused. <laughs> Do you look confused? Just yeah, I, well, I mean, I was like, a, we were in a soft, sophomores in high school, like, I don't, and these are big name people, big name people, yeah. I don't remember this at all, like, okay. I can't even picture it. Okay. And it was like or old timey, they movie. were in old timey uniforms, yeah, and stuff, yeah. Well, we can watch it later. I- <laughs> I feel like this is a Mandela effect. I feel like Anne's making this movie up. I'm making it up. 
Okay, so I'm just made up of like deep fake internet coverage of that. Yeah, so like with the smash of Christy Gillespie and Tanya. Okay, (laughs) not only the The three musketeers and D'Artagnan. Yeah, but also you have to take into consideration the actor. (laughs) So we, it's a little bit call of A, call of B. Okay, hold on. I need a, I need a picture of them. Uh, Okay. We, yeah, can I can I pull can we pull up a picture also? Uh, here. I don't, I'm um, like I I'm I'm so confused. I mean I know who Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver Platt. Okay. So I just write Disney Three Musketeers. Yeah. Nineteen ninety-three. Yeah. Wow. This is so funny. That's it. Here we go. Well, let's look at the actual okay, let me see. Okay, here we go. Oh my what? Okay. So Kiefer Sutherland plays Athos, who is the leader, okay. um, he's courageous, intelligent. Uh, Porthos um, is Oliver Platt. He's he's the funny one. Yeah. Also, he's Porthos. I feel like that's rude. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't make up the names, man. Go ahead. Um, he's like the funny one. He's fashionable. Uh, Aramis is Charlie Sheen. He was studying to be a priest. Okay. Um. And D'Artagnan is, he was not one of the famous Right. He was trying to be one. Right. And he is like romantic, driven by love, um, noble. Yeah, like those smoky eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think. Is he writing secret note, fake notes from a. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think that maybe. Dillis has to be D'Artagnan. I think Dillis has to be D'Artagnan. She's the youngest. She's like not sure. Yeah. She's like yeah. yeah. And then I think, and she's pure of heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Christy, I think is Athos Kiefer. He's yeah. Peter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then B and Tanya. I don't know. Um, I, it was B slightly funnier. I feel like B was slightly funnier, and Tanya was like more full of herself and a little meaner. So you think? I think Tanya's Aramis, and B is Porthos. Okay, so B is Oliver Planet. Uh-huh. You're, you're so, like, assured. In the- <laughs> now that we've done it, it's easy. Now that I've accepted that this, yeah. this movie existed. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, oh, that so- was the hurdle for you. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, B is Oliver Platt. I don't think Anna had time Tonya- last night to make this all up. Nah. Tonya is Aramis. Uh-huh. Uh, tr- uh, Kiefer Sutherland is Christy. Right. And Dallas is Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good job. Yeah. This also, <laughs> hold on. My favorite picture that I found. How do I do this? Oh, I can Photoshop. But actually, we don't care what the other people look like. Since we're right. Let's not even be. We don't even have a photo of Christy. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Are you are you texting us a picture that you particularly liked? I'm trying to, but oh, it's not working. Hold on. Let me. Oh, yeah. Here. I like the one of them on their horses crossing the swords. Mm. I see one of them crossing the swords without their horses, but... No, this one's really good. (laughs) We can also do this game with the original four babysitters. I said it. I said it to you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mallory would be really into that picture. (laughs) Wait, I forgot one of my nuggets. Hold on. Can I go back to it really quick? Do you know what it is? No. So Mal, neither Mal nor Jesse is free to sit for Karen and Andrew because they have 
a science project and Shannon goes, what's it on? The behavior and care of horses. And then like laughs, laughs. and they're like, wow. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. It made me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Well, and that was random, <laughs> but it was relevant. That movie came out while, while, uh, Nola Sacker was writing this yeah, book. So I think that's what I think you found it. I think you, all the softball characters were based on. This is why your brain aired by God. Wow. Yeah. This is why your brain is really good at but this. But this is also why I'm really bad at school. I know it's just always just let me not thinking of what I was supposed to be thinking of. You're like, what if, what if this is yeah, based yeah, on exactly. 15th century depositions? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We got some candy in this book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, dummy worms. Oh, yeah. Oreos. And pretzels. I'm tired of hearing a lot of pretzels. <laughs> Anne's getting real mad at the only thing that Stacey and Don can eat is pretzels. Yeah. Come on. They're going to go eat some pretzels after this. I'm <laughs> um, confused. Oh, fair enough. We're we're we've been having a lot of onion dip with Ruffles, as well as some Chex Mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So not a lot of tallies, just two sensitives and a shy. Um. So still still not having a lot of exotic and almond eyes showing up, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um. What did you guys have for weirdest lines? Okay, I don't know if there's a way to make this a line, and I also didn't write down the full thing. But at the beginning, when Christie's like having her weird moment on the bus where she's trying to figure out why she's like not excited about softball and Emily Michelle and Nanny are gardening and there's like some dandelions or something. And then Christy says dandy and like goes yeah. inside and she's yeah. like, Oh, na- Nanny didn't like my joke. And I was like, were you yeah. making like a, like a homophobic joke? Like yeah. what's the joke? No, I just like, had to read that three times. It's just- and I was like, <laughs> Is this money? It's, it's like a dad joke. It's like dandelion. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, but I, I thought it was funny that A, she said dandy, and then B, she was like pleased with her, like chuffed with herself, but but like was like, oh, Nanny did not like that joke. And yeah, it's like, said, I don't, Nanny rolled her eyes at the bad joke. Yeah, yeah. at the bad joke, yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you recommend anything else that we might actually use for an episode title? Uh, I don't know. Come back to me. Okay. Man. Um, I have page 109. Fun go. Fun go? I'm going to look straight to it. What? 109. Okay, wait. Okay. It's, oh. <laughs> Stacy was studying her clipboard thoughtfully where she'd written notes from a basic book of softball and trying to figure out why she'd written the word fungo in the margin when Claudia poked her in the wrists. I think that's some advanced <laughs> softball term. Is it a really? Is it? What? Fun go. No idea. <laughs> should I, I think it is? Should I Google it? Yeah. Then. I just assumed it was. There's a lot of weird softball terms. Look up fungo softball. Yeah. What is fungo in softball? Fungo bats are used by coaches to hit grounders, fly balls for fielding practice. See? That's a <laughs> dumb name. <laughs> All right. What else do you have for weirdest life? Uh, I also have pop up Oreo. <laughs> yeah, a pop up Oreo is good. I I have that one down. Too. All right. I have uh, Coach Emeritus because I found it unlikely that 
Christy would be using academic honor language about coaching the crushers. So I thought that I was hold my hands on that one. Yeah. And then I also have athletes don't smoke. Oh, oh that's pretty good. Too. Two yeah. on the nose. I think it's yeah. pop-up Oreo. Pop-up Oreo. Great. Oreo. Works for me. And I thought when you, when you said pop-up Oreo, it <laughs> made me have um, like an old, do you remember, what was the name of that website where internet videos were before that? <laughs> Never mind. No, LA's handy clipping up. <laughs> yeah. That about pre-YouTube? Yeah. Uh, it's it's not going to come to me. Well, let's skip it. Lime water? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Uh, pizza test. What should be pizza toast to? Uh, this doesn't have to be the pizza toast, but I do think that we owe it to listeners and ourselves to read the description of Claudia and Stacy's coach outfits from their first day of practice because they're amazing. Uh, and here, do you want to read them, Anne, or do you want me to read them? Well, you have the book open, and you're and I can hand it to you, <laughs> but I could also read them. every other word. <laughs> Why don't you read Claudia, and then I'll read Stacy? That's not fun. Okay, you want to do every other word? It's going to sound terrible. Well, let's see. Claudia was wearing a red satin baseball cap, <laughs> purple sweat pants that were cut off just below the knees, purple high tops with neon pink laces, red and white striped socks, and a red and pink tie-dyed crop top shirt. <laughs> Why does it sound like you guys don't know how to read? <laughs> <laughs> so that outfit was amazing you might have found it distracting how we read it and stacy's i'm just gonna read stacy was in black bicycle shorts with neon yellow racing stripes down the side a pair of nikes with matching neon yellow swooshes on the side but ordinary white laces an enormous white v-neck t-shirt a black jog bra and a brooklyn dodgers baseball cap turned around backwards so they know how to they know how to dress to coach. And I look good. They look good. That's kind of like yeah. how I dress on the really hot days of summer. <laughs> it does sound like you. I mean, I can say see the outfit. <laughs> a jog bra and an enormous shirt. Yeah. And with Mike shirts. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a hundred percent what I wear on like the hottest, grossest days. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay, so that's my proposal for a pizza toast, but do you guys have other what about Coach Wu oh. her same-sex marriage that she filed legal for that in Connecticut in 1994. Hell yeah. Her interracial, not yet legal. Interracial yeah. gay marriage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're good. How do I say that? I mean, I believe you. I believe in you. Go, and go. Um, pizza toast to Coach Wu's interracial relationship that is not legally recognized, recognized by the state of Connecticut in 1994, but will be someday. Pizza, Pizza toast, toast to coach, coach woman woman lady. lady. <laughs> Interracial lady. Um, sorry. <laughs> this episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? 
buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.